Welcome to On the Rec Yard Women's Prison Podcast, where we are live on the Rec Yard every Wednesday night. Hey, Tunchi. Hey. What's going on? No, I mean, the intro felt smooth to me. Well, I felt like you cut it off a little too soon. It seemed a little abrupt. I didn't cut it off. It does it itself. Really? Because it sounded a little, little clip. You just are looking for something to criticize me about in the production aspect of this show. You are always searching. I'm not. I, 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 I just, it just sounded a little, are we getting a call? <laughs> right after I put the silent oh. mode, apparently I turned the silent mode off instead of on. Um, and so oh, that was okay. my, my sweet grandmother texting me Aww. some important information. I'm sure. Oh, she's, she, uh, she's at the, yeah, she's at the casino and she won a thousand dollars. So she oh, sent me well, a picture. Good. It was a nice little picture. <laughs> Gmo, good job. Now she's going to be there tonight and tomorrow night. So I'm not going to get excited about her bringing this little win home. Because it's going right back into the machine. <laughs> precisely. So, guys, it is Wednesday night. Uh, we are on the Rec Yard Women's Prison Podcast. And this week, this is a pre-recorded episode. So in real time right here, it is Tuesday night. Chi is going to get sick eating these candy corns. <laughs> she has eaten half a bag of candy corns already. Guys, I didn't even know they sold candy corn in September. Yeah, with the little pumpkins. Uh, yeah, I mean, they start Halloween at the beginning of September, and you know that's one of my favorite holidays, so I couldn't wait. So there you are. And I feel sick. <laughs> <laughs> We're discombobulated as usual because, mm -hmm. as usual, this, this week has taken us <laughs> by the hair. Literally, mm -hmm. I just feel like I've been dragged around all week like that. But it's always just such a pleasure, Toonch, to hang out with you and with our folks. Now, are you going to be in the chat tomorrow night? Are you going to be in the chat? Tell the people if you're here or not. Yes, I will. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> yes, I'll be here. Could you could you put the candy corn down so we it's can done. do this podcast? <laughs> it's done. Are you you're finished? Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Hey, Tucci, let's do a weekly recap. <laughs> oh. you haven't said I'm Marcy Marie. And I'm Tucci. Let's do that weekly recap. What went on for you this uh, past week? Didn't we have some things? Here <laughs> <laughs> we go again. But you Here had a panel again. discussion. I Let's did. talk about that. Yeah, I had a panel discussion with um, uh, Texas Apple Seeds, uh, Dr. Carrion. Um, she does phenomenal work there. And uh, just the importance of making sure that system impact people are a part of the process, part of advocacy, a part of research. Uh, yeah, so that that went really well. There was pretty crowded. It was during the Texas Tribune Festival, um, so that was really cool. You know, um, I always like talking about, you know, when we talk about healing, you know, what does that mean? Well, it means doing that without a carceral system. Like the things that helped me, the things that helped Marcy, all of our friends, uh, it, it, it wasn't prison. Right. It was community and it was support. Um, if, if prison was a deterrent, then guess what? We'd have no one in there. 
So it was good discussion. Awesome. And, and that's exactly right. And you made me immediately think about that podcast interview. I listened to Rosie's um, podcast, which is Onward with Rosie O'Donnell. You can hear it anywhere. I think it's sponsored by iHeartRadio, but you can hear it wherever you hear your podcast. Y'all, she interviewed Lyle Menendez and he was on the jail phone. You hear the this call will be monitored and recorded. Like you hear all of that, that it's him. The calls, the call length on his phone was 15 minutes. So he has to hang up and call back. But the point of that is it was an incredible interview. Rosie took such care with his story. It was, she did not exploit his story. She did not ask for gruesome details. We already know. We already know what happened that night with his parents was horrific and traumatic for him and his brother and all parties involved. We already know that that was a life shattering move, but she talked about just how violence begets violence, childhood trauma and what those boys had endured. It got to a boiling point and then a tr a more violence happened. And then they went into the carceral system, into the California prisons. And then guess what? They were victimized again, right? Because that's what happens to people that go to prison. They end up being victims again. So they start usually as victims. Then they commit a crime and victimize someone else. And then they end up in prison and now they're victims again. And then they get out and it's just this big cycle. And that's why our recidivism yeah. rate is so high. But... <laughs> I'll tell you, around the 36th minute, they stopped talking about all of the kind of the details of what led them and how their family reacted and all of that. And he started talking about some of the things that he's been doing since he's in prison. And he's he, they've been locked up for 34 years. And so yep. um, I won't talk about everything, but there is a possibility for an appeal. And it's a pretty good one uh, uh, right now because of new evidence. So um they filed their hapeus and all of that. And anyways, around the 36th minute, he starts talking about this um, beautification program that he basically started in the prison that he's in. And they are taking like prisons in Norway and Sweden, and they're using them as a model because what we know about those prisons and particularly Norway is that the recidivism, they changed their prisons from a carceral setting to a more healing, even just in appearance. And um, it, their recidiv recidivism rates dropped from 70 in the seventies to 20, wow. like one of the lowest. Incredible. And so um, just based on that, he was able to make his presentation. They got funding. He's working with outside organizations to make it happen. And he just talks about that very thing is that most of the people, that he's incarcerated with were victims of some sort of childhood trauma. And then they committed their crime and now they're here. And this is not the environment that you can heal from that trauma. Right. So yeah, uh, it was incredible. Please listen to it. If you only listen to one of her episodes, y'all, this is the one. Cause he, it's just such an important, the way she handled the story and was able to get the details without making him feel used 
and abused, yeah. like often those true crime kind of shows do. Um, but you still get the, you get some insight into it. So you get that little for you true crime folks, you you do get that little insight, but it's done in a tactful, caring way. And then the way he talks about what he's doing and what his plans are to do if he actually gets to come home. Uh, yeah, I could go on about that. I listened to it twice today. I was in the car a lot, <laughs> but I re-listened to it because it was that good. And I thought, I, I, don't, I know I've missed something. So I want to make sure that I get everything. It was a good one. Um, but we did have other things happen this week. We had the ballpark. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell it, tell, tell everybody how we um, got together in Dallas. Yeah, we had. Um, well, we had a, we had a Linus kind of a community team building event. We had a dinner and we got to visit. There were, I think, there were nine of us. Um, so we got to have the dinner. Uh, someone had donated us Rangers baseball tickets, <laughs> and so we got to go to the ball game. Um, Tunch and I were on the prison show, the radio yep. show. Yeah. And so we got to kind of tell them about what we were doing. We got to send some encouragement on the inside. If you guys, that's a, that's a show that I think it airs every Friday night and it plays on the radio stations that Huntsville picks up. And so the lot of prisons get to hear that show. Uh, and then we had a little sleepover. That was fun too. Yeah, <laughs> Gosh, we didn't, um, I think I finally passed out around two, I guess, two or three. Yeah. I, I remember just slow blinking, looking at you and Ariana and then I was gone. Yeah. We were just talking away. <laughs> we were, we were really talking to Ariana had a couple of Red Bulls, so she was really awake. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it was fun. And then we had breakfast and, um, yeah, it was a good time. It was just a good community and visiting. Uh, and I think that Dallas team is coming in hot yeah. for membership, man. For sure. Dallas is, Dallas is ready to make some moves. So, uh, yeah. And that's another thing. If, if you are anywhere in Texas, Linus is not just in Austin, it's statewide and we have regional directors statewide and we'll connect you with a, with a group in your area you get a hold of us if you want to do something advocacy comes on all levels right it's not just it's not just gung-ho like I think you guys sometimes might look at Tunch and I and be like oh man that's too much I can't do that I'm not, I'm not telling my story out there I'm not getting in front of the people and that's fine mm -hmm. because you can get a lot done uh in an email right <laughs> <laughs> And we need all of it, right? Numbers matter. Numbers are important. So any anything else? Am I forgetting? Well, this weekend, we will be in Huntsville, Texas. We will be at the, um, it's a conference. Let me, let me get the exact title here. Uh, the Texas Correctional Education Conference uh, hosted by Lee College. So me and Marcy will both be there. I'll be talking on Friday. Um, there'll be a lot of good presentations. We're talking about higher education in prison. And as women, we know that that is way, way behind men, uh, the men's opportunities. So Marcy will be uh, doing some training uh, on that Saturday. Tell them what you'll be talking about. 
Well, I'm going to be talking about social advocacy through storytelling, just kind of how to use your personal experiences to change the narrative. I think that's one thing I didn't realize when I got home is how many people just didn't know it was like that in prison. And I would make some cute little TikTok about washing my bra in the shower or something. And they'd be like, what? You had to hide your wet bra? And it, and, and it was so funny. Like those first few months that I got home and I was still like deprogramming because prison does ch change your mental state. We're going to be talking about that. So I was still like deprogramming and adjusting back to the, to the rules out here. And it didn't, you, you get kind of complacent with that harmful environment and you get to a point years in where it's not you're not just actively and consciously aware of the ways that you're being harmed mm -hmm. and and even the small ways right and then you get home and people's reaction they say it they say it all they say it all and so uh just how telling your story even even to small groups not necessarily you don't have to get on TikTok if you don't want to, <laughs> right? But even just in your family. And um, so we're just going to be talking about that and that'll be fun. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I'm, I may miss it because I want to get back to Williamson County for um, a friend of ours. Uh, she's running for house district. I think it's 52. I hope Angel doesn't doesn't get me for not having the number it right, but 52. Good. Yeah, it is 52. And she's, um, Angel is a Linus member, uh, also. So that's definitely, we need to support her and you can miss mine because, you know, I'm going to be missing yours. I'm going to Virginia tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. So I have a, um, board meeting with the Second Chancer Foundation, and we have a little presentation tomorrow night. I'm going to be with Jesse Crossan, aka Second Chancer on TikTok. So uh, he's one of my good friends and uh, an incredible advocate for Second Chance employment, housing, education, all the good stuff. So Oh, that was a lot. We've got a lot going on. So you guys can see why we're a little bit loony. We've, we've <laughs> It's Tuesday, and I bet we've already had 13 meetings this week. It's true. Um, a whole pot of coffee and a half a bag of candy corn. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So with all of that going on, um, we had planned on talking about the differences between female and male prisons in Texas. And I mm -hmm. actually have a special guest lined up. He's not, he was not able to join us tonight for this pre-recorded event. So we're looking at next week. Uh, so we're pushing that. And I know you guys are like used to us fumbling around our topics, <laughs> but we thought we would talk about um, conflict resolution. Like how does that look in women's prisons? versus how does that look out here in the real world with real world, real world consequences, right? Mm, mm. Yeah, what a big one, right? Like, I think, well, Marcy, I mean, my whole life exemplifies that, right? Like, especially, um, and I'll get into that story in a minute, but um, yes. So, and we've talked about this in other episodes about how prison is its own culture. It's its own world. It's got its own informal rules, what, what you call norms. Uh, you know, certain things mean things uh, in there that don't hear. Language is different. I mean, it's just a whole culture. And there are expected ways 
for you to handle conflict on the inside. Um, and there, there are uh, expected outcomes if you do or don't, right? So what, let, let's say this, Marcy, what, what, what would you do? <laughs> what would you do if your girlfriend broke up with you? Y'all had something go on, right? She says, I'm breaking up with you. I don't want to be with you anymore, right? Whatever. You didn't want that. It was bullshit, right? And she immediately, two days later, on her birthday. Oh, here we go. On her birthday, the night before her birthday, she goes to rec to celebrate with her sister. And um, you see her talking to some fems. Um. How would you respond to that as soon as rec was over? So it is a whole different set of rules. And I know that for, for folks that I did time with, like none of them are going to be surprised by anything that they hear tonight. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think a lot of people that only know free world Marcy oh. are shocked at some of the stories that took place because I completely submerged myself into that environment. Right. I didn't, I didn't keep one foot in and one foot out. I didn't, I mean, I, I, these are the prison rules and this is what you do and this is what's expected. And if you don't do that, then you look weak. Yeah. Right. So my ex-girlfriend and, and really I want to tell you a breakup doesn't mean a breakup. <laughs> like right. you still in prison when, when y'all break up, you still feel ownership over that person and prison relationships are a lot about possession and ownership and not just relationship mm -hmm. because I, I think it's just, we have so little in there that we kind of hold on to that relationship and that person and there's a control factor <laughs> and it's both ways like if if Brittany as my prison girlfriend allowed me didn't stop me from sitting by a certain person people would think she didn't care about me <laughs> in right. there. Like that's, <laughs> you know, that's, and, and it's so absurd. It's so different. So in there, if that scenario happened, so first of all, our rec, rec boss on Lane Murray, she walks around, right? Or, or she or he. So uh, if they were sitting off camera, I'm not going to wait until rec's over. So I'm going to be watching the law. I'm going to, whoever I'm, out there with if Tunch, if you're out there, I'm I'm gonna be like Tunch, you got me, and I'm gonna if they're sitting down in the corner somewhere off camera, and it's safely off camera, and the officer's not watching, I'm gonna walk by, and I'm either gonna grab one of them by the hair and jerk their head back and keep walking like nothing happened, or um, if they're like leaning back on their hands or something chilling, I'm going to like crush their fingers with my hands. If I, if I have a water bottle with me, I'm going to dash them with the water as I walk by. <laughs> um, I mean, just, it seems so, I don't know what the word, I know I, it just sounds awful, but that's, they're looking for a reaction the whole, everyone's looking for a reaction. Everyone knows it's going to happen in that scenario that you everybody's laid out. watching. <laughs> yeah. Right. Cause it, it would be like, 
girl, Marcy came to wreck Brittany over <laughs> and Brittany, if you're listening or watching, we're just <laughs> using this as an example, right? Um, you know, Brittany's over there with this other chick, you know, it's the night before her birthday. She's out. She done broke up with Marcy. She's like, I don't want to be with you, blah, blah, and just blew her off. Everybody on that wreck yard is watching Marcy and they're watching too, right? Yeah. They're at the corner and it will be it. That moment has to be very quick and it has to be just in that space that they have lost their attention for just a moment. Mm-hmm. Right. <clears throat> and, you know, imagine this is the way your culture has taught you because remember words mean something else to us too. So the word disrespect does not mean the same thing. Um, well, certainly for people with borderline personality disorder, it, words mean something different anyway with emotions. Uh, but then you put it, put us in a prison culture and now it really means something different. So disrespect for a normal person, free person, it means something different in there. And so, you know, you you have these different values that if Marcy didn't do that, she's weak. If um, you know, Ooh, they punked her. Ooh, they, they punked her. Girl, Marcy. look them right here in her face, and she just doing nothing. Right, like in everything that happens in there. If 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 somebody sees that and thinks that, then everybody's going to treat Marcy that way. Everybody would treat her, would punk her, right? Because. She didn't, she did not do what she is supposed to do in that, that situation and culture. So I ask you that specific incident to see what you're going to say. So when I got out of prison, uh, the first time, remember y'all, I grew up there, I 15 to age 25. So imagine these scenarios that Marcy's saying, this is every day, all day for years, right? And I'm a kid too. So um, you know, the state of Texas prison system raised me after my father did, after my father lost custody, right? And so when I get out and I'm an adult, Marcy, I'm 25, 26 at the time, you know, 30 years old, I'd been out four or five years, but still, baby, I still reacted and treated people the same way I did on the inside. It was ingrained in me. And I got into a pretty volatile situation, a relationship that was Baby, if we'd been in prison, girl, we would have been one of them couples that the whole unit and officers been like, my God, keep them separated. It was always something. And, um, you know, all that back and forth mind games and, and all this stuff. Anyway, she broke up with me, Marcy, the day, a couple of days before her birthday. And um, she was uh, going out that night, the night before her birthday with her sister. Now I didn't know, but you always have that one friend, right? So I was talking to my friend. I was watching charms was at my apartment and she goes, girl, what are you doing tonight? And I said, nothing. She goes like, Oh, you know, I heard so-and-so was going to, uh, chances, which that was the lesbian bar in Dallas. I mean, in Houston at the time. And so with her sister and I immediately, OM like rage and jealousy and terror. I said, what? And she's like, no, I'm just telling you, girl, don't go down there. And I was like, boop, done, hung up the phone, called my other friend. She said, girl, it's my graduation tomorrow. Please don't do anything. I said, no, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to circle them. Like, I'm just going to go and show up. And I did. <laughs> and what's happening? She's flirting with somebody. Other stuff's going on. Of course, I was drinking a lot. I end up at her house in the middle of the night. 
Or in the see, free world. In the still, free world. Still in Still in mind, prison in prison. my head. Mm -hmm. Because just like you said, <laughs> this, you don't disrespect me like that, right? Go to her house and throw myself through her window. Put my hands on her, put my hands on her sister. The police show up in the morning, drag me down the stairs, and I'm in prison for another 10 years. And, you know, you know, a lot of times it's like uh, people say, well, you know, you'd been drinking a lot. Girl, that was self-medication for mental health stuff. I shouldn't have been doing that anyway, right? But it wouldn't have mattered because even if I had not been drinking, it would have, there were already moments that already happened that were similar that my sub, being sober, I barely held on because my mind was telling me to react just the way you would have. And I did, like even worse. Um and that was hard for me when I got out the first time, because anytime conflict or problems happened uh, and not just romantic relationship, the instant desire or instinct to protect myself or protect whatever I felt like I needed to in my head, um, it, it was difficult. It, it was difficult the second time I got out of prison. Praise God, I'm further along in my therapy because there's been some moments <laughs> Whoa. it is Whoa. difficult I can imagine like you being even more almost I mean it's it's not brainwashed but I mean if you live in uh Germany where they do things differently for for your whole childhood you're going to come to the United States and still do some of those things it's it's ha it's habitual it's ingrained in you you grew up with that it, and even as me um, I spent my 30s incarcerated. I mean, I came home as a 40-year-old uh, woman, you know, 41-year-old woman. And and even then, even had been raised in a very nonviolent household, been raised with conflict resolution training, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, my, my parents set me down. They didn't encourage violence. They weren't one of those kids that if somebody hits you, you knock them out. They just weren't my, they're hippies, <laughs> you know, they wanted peace and they taught us to seek peace. But that environment, like I said, um, I, I, I just, I've always been one that submerges all the way into something and prison was no different. I submerged all the way in and coming home, I still struggled with those same thoughts. And frankly, two and a half years later, when I feel betrayed or hurt, those old, in, old feelings and instincts come up and I have worked you know, some events have happened um, since I've been home that I've had to work in my mind. And I've even played scenarios out. Like if I was in prison, this is what it would look like. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that doesn't work out here. That doesn't get us anywhere out here except for possibly another prison sentence. Right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. Like, and, and I think it, it's, it, it's not just physical violence, right. Um, because we talk about the differences between men and women and, and for the most part, yes, we had reactions as big as that, that were violent, that was expected, but for the, for the day-to-day, -day, Marcy, when things happened, that people did stuff that were not cool <laughs> or hurtful, like psychologically damaging or harmful, um, the ways we responded to that, I feel like are extremely unique. 
like, um, you know, we talked about uh, prison slang last time, you know, and, and one, of, one of those slang words is crossing somebody out, right? So when you cross somebody out is it is a strategic laid out, very covert manipulation with staff and other incarcerated folks to just take everything, right? Like the things that are important that you're locked up with, your, your job, your, your housing could be close to your girlfriend, your friends, um, and, and finding ways to covertly, um, viciously, coldly, uh, just completely obliterate somebody. Um, and I don't know if men do that, that will be something interesting that we can ask next week is that to me was harder. <laughs> I can keep myself from throwing myself through a window. <laughs> well, I don't know. There's been some moments that were touch and go, but that, that psychological um, way of responding to harm when we were locked up is, is hard. It is a daily struggle to maintain a sense of healing and integrity that is suited for this culture, right? It's emotional warfare mm -hmm. in there. It's, it's, yeah, you're exactly right. And crossing out is just, is just that it happens from um, staff could cross you out by lying on you. And so, uh, and getting you a disciplinary case that you didn't rightfully deserve. We see that happen all the time without the help of other incarcerated folks. But then you get a vengeful woman involved and that, that feels like they've been done wrong, that feels they've been betrayed in some way. Then they have connections. Hey, we've been locked up a minute. I've been in six years. There are officers that I talk about, that I know their kids' names, that, that they ask me for advice on how to handle their man at home. I mean, I have those connections and now you've harmed me in a way that it, it makes me want to use those connections as ammunition mm -hmm. um, instead of what we hope you would use those connections for is, uh, hey, Boss Smith, a random name, um, so-and-so got a case for this and it's baloney. It's not right. Yeah. That officer's writing a bunch of bogus cases. And what you hope is you've made a connection that will step in and get those cases or step in if it's a rank and pull the cases legitimately. Um, instead, we could use it the other way as well yeah. because a yeah. woman scorned and we definitely see that absolutely <laughs> and i think um those of us that are close we talk about it a lot um especially my friends that you know at mountain view that we did they did 20 30 years you know they had mastered that <laughs> like they that is a coping survival skill and um it, it's you don't want to you don't want to tango with them at all because they have learned this very covert. Well, and I think women in general have to learn that from society, right? Because, um, you know, the patriarchy of how it, how the, the how it's structured to keep, to keep us um, in a position of not having power. So what do we do? We learn how to covertly um, get our needs met. And in prison, it is, it is 10 times that, but you know, Marcy, I've, struggled very much this last time I went in and I came out, I knew that, like you said, I, I can't be immersed. And I knew that, right. Because I saw the connection to how I ended up back in prison. It was because I had been immersed 
Um, and so I had to hold on to a piece of me that was, you know, in this culture that I was learning and, and it got kind of stunted, right? And to kind of still survive prison by, by those manipulations and psychological games um, to protect myself and, and those around me. Um, I can spot it better. And then sometimes it still gets over on me, but, you know, I, I'm just wondering if, how have, have you struggled with that since you've been home, you know, cause conflict happens out here. Like, have I struggled with reacting like you would in prison? I mean, so I haven't had like, um, a moment where I've like been in the same range as someone that I have felt hurt by. Uh, I'll just say like the first six months that I got out, there was a family issue with, with an ex girlfriend in the family without, without putting the people, my people's business out there too much. (laughs) I don't want to say who it was, but I just remember telling my daughter, like my daughter and I were pretty fired up about it. And I'm like, Oh, I'm fixing to go. I'm fixing to get in my car, you know? And I remember thinking I can't do that. (laughs) Like I can't do that. And, you know, in my mind, I'm like, I'm not going to drive around until I catch a moment. I will follow you (laughs) until I catch a moment where I feel like nobody's around because in prison, that's what you do. Like if, if you want to catch a square, if you're going to fight, you have to wait until you know you're off camera and the officers aren't there. And if you, and if that's one-sided and not an agreement that, yeah, we're fixing to catch a square, if that's one-sided, you're just on the, on the, you're on the lookout. And I have felt betrayed. I had a very good friend in prison who we were so close that my family had the phone set up for her Mm -hmm. because if something happened where I couldn't use the phone or if I went to SEG or, you know, that she could call and, and tell them what's up and, and all of that. And Uh, We were really close and it was over a job. It was over a lieutenant, the dang, you know, to be a tractor driver, uh, just some, something so silly. And the lieutenant calls me in the office. It's like five in the morning. And I'm like, man, they only call when you have a case. I'm like, what the heck are they calling me for? You know, and I go down there and, and the lieutenant's got his feet up on the desk and he's got his cowboy hat on. He's kind of, kind of hunched back. And he's like, did you call OIG on me? And OIG is basically like internal affairs. It's, it's the office of the inspector general. It's the, it's, it's the people that are supposed to police the officers basically. Uh, Anyway. And I said, what? Absolutely not. And he's, he brought up what it was about and it was about a disciplinary case that I over something he had given me and I got caught with it. And I got the case. I pled guilty, got my little 30 days. Mm -hmm. You know, of course I did not. Of course I didn't. So, um, yeah. And so then he, he says, Hmm. And I, you know, I tell him, Lou, I got that case. I pled guilty. I'm on restriction now, sir. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, he says, Hmm. I said, why? What's up? He said, well, just know that so-and-so is not your friend. And that was my best friend. Mm. That was, yeah, yeah. That was somebody I loved immensely. And, and uh, I said, oh, all right, you know, all right. And I lived three or four cubicles down from her. So what was my, what was mine? You know, first of all, I shut her out completely, ignored her, pretended like she didn't exist. She cried. 
to me, not understand. She didn't know that I knew, mm. you know, and then I watch for my opportunity to get her, you know, because I know that she has disrespected me and betrayed me in a way where the rules here mean violence is the response for that. It's not only, it's not only accepted, it's expected. Violence is the expected response. So what do I do? I go, um, I wait, I'm at my cubicle and I wait all day. And she's, she knows I'm waiting because <laughs> the way I'm acting, right? She doesn't go to the shower area by herself. She doesn't go wash her hands by herself. Well, after 10 o'clock bed book count, the second count leaves out. And I, I guess she thought I wouldn't do it at that time. And she got up and went to the restroom and I was waiting outside her restroom door because that was the off camera spot, you know? And I, and I, I mean, you know, I was violent. That was my response. And that was what was accepted. And it sounds so ridiculous now because she told a lie on me. Yeah. Over right. a job. Yeah. Over a prison job that I don't get paid for. Right. <laughs> I was so brainwashed to believe that those things were important in there. Yeah. But I put my hands on somebody behind a job I didn't even get paid for. Right. <laughs> well, it's because that, you know, male lieutenant made you feel important and special. And, you know, uh, you know, I'm always the one in the room that says, peel it back. I promise you, if you keep peeling back, you'll you'll find that patriarchal stem somewhere. Um, you know, Marcy, and it, it's like that's not who we are anymore. And and I think I think what scares me, if I'm just going to be honest, is that. Well. Was that who I really was? Because I've told people before, I've been honest here before about, you know, when I was a kid, when when I was told I didn't have a soul or a conscience um, and I struggled with that for a long time of, well, maybe I don't, maybe that is who I am. Like maybe if prison is telling me that's who I am and this is the way I'm supposed to respond, maybe, maybe this is who I am. And, and so the second time when I got out, I knew that I didn't want to handle it like you just did. Right. Like I didn't want to handle it when I like I threw myself through the window or or the the mirrored of other things that I did through 19 years of prison. Right. I mean, I know you, you tease me about never getting a case. I had two minor cases in 19 years, but honey, that's just how covert I was. I mean, that's just. Yeah. How you knew how to navigate that. You knew how to navigate that without getting in trouble. And that's a whole nother thing, right? As many, as many physical altercations as I was in, in prison, I didn't, I don't have one case for one. I've been, I've been handcuffed. I've been walked down to SEG because of suspicions. I've been walked down there because of the way my knuckles looked. I've, I've been walked down there and kept for days and days and weeks and only that's that's the other thing. If mm -hmm. the camera doesn't see it and the officer doesn't see it, it didn't happen. They don't believe our word. Even even when it comes to a violent act and 20 people want to say something happened. It doesn't matter. It, Them 20 statements matter. don't mean anything. And, you know, it's like I, I've since I've been home this time and I've had some real moments. Girl, you know, I have like not just with girlfriends, but friends, strangers, some real moments of that stuff getting triggered. 
just like I did before I threw myself through that girl's window. Um, and it's, it, it is a daily, daily combating that prison voice in my head constantly, you know, and I think it's, it, you know, like you said, people see you now and they're like, Oh, she's so precious to the girl. <laughs> She, she will tear you off the bone, right? Like I, I see that with, with all the formerly incarcerated women I know, like that are successful now that are, and it's like, y'all have no idea the things that we've have to have to overcome emotionally and mentally to, to be well. And it is, it is not a once a, a week pill, right? Like it is daily talking to one another, talking to our therapist, like, I remember when I was in prison, I think I told this to you one time is that I was in an anger management group and see, I grew up in a home, which was probably even, you know, easier for me too, is because I grew up in a home where they did that to you, beat their ass, right? Like I grew up in a really, um, really stern, authoritarian, violent home. I did. And, uh, so a part of this was already in there. Uh, and, uh, I remember the counselor, we were doing anger management and we were doing some worksheet or something, you know, not intensive therapy. It was one of those classes you took for three months. And uh, I said, I, this is not doing me any good. This journal, this is dumb. And she was like, well, it's to learn coping skills. I said, no, no, no. Tell me why it's wrong that if somebody does something to me, I don't respond and bust their teeth out right? Tell me why that's wrong. And I meant it, mm -hmm. Marcy. I was like, tell me, because you can give me all the coping skills. You can give me all the, the, the journaling and all the stuff that helps you identify your anger and do other, other things with it. But if I don't believe it's wrong, I'll never change it. And I don't know if she just didn't know how to respond to that because I was really trying to work on what the hell was wrong with me. Um, and she goes, well, because you end up in prison. I said, ma'am, no offense. That didn't stop me the second time. Because that night when I found out that girl was going to that bar with somebody else on her birthday and it broke up with me and tossed me aside like a discarded soda can after all the stuff I'd poured in, uh, that it was on and popping. You disrespect me and my prison and my childhood training came in. But I said, you tell me why it's wrong. And through... God, the next 10 years, I've had to learn why it's wrong. It doesn't come natural. And I think this is something we've talked about in trauma care, trauma-informed care. You are asking children and people to do something that they literally have no idea to do. And it may sound like common sense that people should know you shouldn't hit each other in the mouth, but that was not common sense to me growing up in the prison system. And it's taken real work. And, and, and I, it's tough. <laughs> and, and also just the reaction of violence is okay if it's behind someone you care about. Like, and, and expected almost. Similar mm -hmm. like um, men, and we can discuss this next week also, but similar like men are, they have organizations, they have their affiliations, and you swing behind those. Uh, well, women have that in a sense, too. Uh, our play families, our close friends. Oh, if you did this to her, uh, I'm getting you. 
and you, you know, you just, you don't get caught slipping around me. Cause if you're not paying attention when the law's not around, I'm, I'm coming. And for I you. won't forget. Right. I won't oh, forget for years no. and yeah. wait for that moment. Yeah. Most definitely. So how does that look for us now? Right. Because <laughs> I want to finish on, I, I mean, it's cause it, it's there and that, that little scenarios that Tunch and I talked about, that wasn't one time. It wasn't this, oh, so one time in prison, this happened. No, it was lots of times in our prison life and our prison mental life these kind of things happen. And Marcy, let me, let me just use this as an example to get people to really understand what you're talking about is that again, talking about the covert ways that women respond to conflict inside prison, the, the violence will pop, the, the physical violence will pop. But, but like Marcy said, that kind of psychological crossing each other out and all this stuff, you know, waiting, waiting for years to do it. Right. I had a friend that when she got out, she had to be checked into, and she's, she never had mental health problems while we were inside. Like she was there actually for something that she didn't do. Um, but she had to check herself into a hospital and she was diagnosed with, um, you know, the PTSD that now is related to prison, but, but also with paranoia ideation stuff, because she was so, paranoid all the time that people were out to get her like we could just be somewhere and she's like mm -mm. like why did that lady say that like that like like she's going to do something to us like we live even now some of our closest friends will tell me girl I just don't know because I just I feel like I feel like something's going to happen people are going to get us I'm like honey <laughs> that is People don't do that out here. Right. That's you know not I mean? the way free world folks operate. They were, they don't have that mindset. They're yeah. not, nobody's out to get you. Nobody's dropping forms because right. in prison, that's what it is, is a paper. You drop a form to classification telling them this or, you know, and these are just some of the underhanded things that women do to each other in the penitentiary to cope with conflict. That's not what folks are doing out here. You know, so what what has worked, what has worked for you, Tunch, to stop some of that? You talked about therapy. So I'll say uh, definitely friendships, like being yeah. in um, groups, safe places where I can vocalize, man, my prison self is here. And, and it's <laughs> right. and I need people to say, no, you know, we're not going to do that. And this is why. And 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 those things don't even really make you feel better right? It's just, it just makes it feel complete. Like, okay, well now I've done something, it, but, right. but the act, a violent act doesn't make you feel better, right. you know? So, right. No, you're right. Like, um, you know, I, I think we've talked about before, you know, feelings of like, okay, well, I don't, I, I want, I don't want to feel this, right? Like I want to change how I feel. Um, but, but doing those things that we just talked about are not going to change that. Right. And it's, so it's like, what do you deal with if, if someone on the inside has, has done something, lied on you, betrayed you, crossed you out? You know, I, I remember, let me, let me tell you, I, when I was at Terrace and I told you and Lori the story, but when I was at Terrace, somebody was on a campaign to cross me out. I got switched out with one of the clerks 
because she was messing around with this girl in cell block and she was kind of being a trick, right? The girl was taking her money. So they moved her off the unit and switched me. I got in trouble in the library because they thought I was down there with my girlfriend, but couldn't catch me slipping, right? <laughs> but anyway, so I'm at this unit. I had done most of my 10 years at Riverside, um, minus a few months at, at Lane Murray. So terrorist doesn't really know me. And we had cell block. We had medium custody. And I was working in the education building. So every time they came for chow or whatever they were doing, they were, girl, they were cussing me out. You snitching ass Like, I'm like, my God. And I don't, I'm not a snitch. You know what I mean? Like, I've never mm -hmm. done that. Um, and they just, they harassed me constantly, Marcy, threatening to beat me. Like, I mean, just crazy stuff. And I'm like, what is happening? The unit people are shunning me. There's like this, like nobody will talk to me. And I'm like, I'm miserable. But, you know, every day I go back to the dorm, clean my cubicle, eat my little dinner. I'm polite, you know, to my neighbors. You know, I'm a charming person. I know that I am. Uh, and so I just was me. And I found out that this girl was telling all these people this to, to somehow cross me out so that they would move her back to the unit. Dumb, right? Like the, you got moved for a reason, dummy, right? And I would tell people like, they're not going to do that. Even if y'all got rid of me, they moved her because she was a problem. So anyway, one day I'm cleaning. I'm in this girl that she lived uh, across from me. She said, can I talk to you? I said, sure. She said, I just can't do it. I said, well, what are you, what are you talking about? She said, I can't do it. Um, her name was Connie. I'm going to put it out there. <laughs> Connie offered to pay me a hundred dollars to put, because she'd have her dude put the money on her books and the girl was indigent. So, you know, a hundred dollars to an indigent person was a big deal. Mm -hmm. She said, she said she'd pay me a hundred dollars if I hid razor blades in your cubicle. Marcy, I was two months away from seeing parole for the first time. I was devastated. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my. Because y'all that are listening, they don't give a damn. If they find them razor blades in your cubicle taped up under your bed, they don't care. You're getting the case. So every after this, I always check my cubicle every day when I came in. But I said, please, God, don't do that. She goes, I'm not. She said, you know, I watched you. And I heard what she told me. You were a snitch. You did this, that you were racist. She said, I, I watched you. You came in every day. You, you always call me ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Because I always do that. She goes, and you, you know, you asked me if I was hungry, like you cleaned up and you've just been always very kind to me. And I just, something started to feel off. And I was like, I can't do this. That something's wrong. What Connie's telling me is something is wrong. I can't do it. She's lying to me. Right. So she figured it out on her own. And I think that's the way that I've tried to operate ever since then is that I don't have to do all that crazy stuff that prison teaches us to do that makes it worse when all it is, is I just continue to hold my calm and my peace and be the best me and believe it or not, even though it doesn't feel good, <laughs> And our thing is we want to do something, you just don't. And, and that's how I have been able to survive differently out here. Thank you for your patience for a little bit longer of a story, but it, I feel like it's impactful in terms of that's the answer. That's that is, I, th I think you're right. That is um, that we, we don't always have to react when someone else 
um, especially when it's a verbal something, especially when your own character and your own actions uh, and your own, you know, your own interactions with people, they speak volumes more than you trying to explain why someone else is salty enough to be uh, pouring your, pulling your name through the gutter or whatever those expressions are that are just talking down about you. And, uh, you know, on social media, I get folks, especially it was really hardcore for a while there when um, I was on some of the officer Facebook groups, <laughs> when some some salty ex officers or current officers, I don't know, had posted my picture and my stuff. And then all of a sudden I got all these nameless, faceless accounts uh, attacking me. But on social media, it's really easy because you can just block them. And then that's the end of that. Right. But when it's someone that is walks around in and navigates the same spaces and areas you do you where you're having to see the people it's not like in prison that you can cross them out and get them moved you know what i mean <laughs> get them moved to another city or another right. state you know it doesn't work like that so i think the best thing to do i think with with that kind of when you feel that hurt and betrayal um is is to walk with your head high and still experience the joy that you have with the people that do love you and do care about you. And actions speak louder than words, right? Uh, positive actions speak volumes more than talking down about people or, or trying to defend yourself against lies. Well, yeah. And, you know, I remember when, when I was at Mountain View and, you know, I still had to navigate things within that culture. Right. But I just remember so many times Marcy telling people, I tell Serena now when she calls me, I'm like, girl, stop. People can say whatever they want to. No, she's not going to say that about me. So I told her and I went to her and I said, why would you do that? I've told you a thousand times to stop doing that. I said, that woman can say whatever she wants to. What are you going to do? You're going to slap her in the mouth in the bowl room. Y'all both going to go to SIG. And then guess what? She's still going to say it. So and that's in prison. That's a thing. Like, keep your name, uh, keep my name out your mouth, girl. That girl better keep my name out her mouth if she doesn't, you know, and that's, and that's real. And I don't know, it was like my eighth year, maybe when I, when I, if something just occurred to me that you don't have any control over what comes out of other people's mouths. And for me personally, that relieved so much <laughs> from me, like responsibility. I have no responsibility over what comes out of the next person's mouths. And as, as aggressive as I was at times in prison, I was very much a peacemaker between other parties. Like I, mm -hmm. I could calm people down. I could keep people out of trouble. I was able to talk to officers to keep people out of trouble. You know, um, our, our um, colleague at Linus uh, peaches, she's the same way. She was very much, but, but she also was aggressive at times, you know, but anyways, that conflict resolution about, I remember telling people, so what if, so what if they said that you, you can't control what somebody else says, what somebody else says is not your responsibility. Right. Like you, you have nothing to do with it. And uh, I remember how, what kind of peace that brought me in there. And I need to remember that again now. Like I have, I have no control when somebody gets on social media and says something, or when someone um, acts like maybe I don't uh, belong in a certain space for whatever reason, I need to remember that that's, that's has nothing to do with me. 
what they say honestly has nothing to do with me. So, right. I mean, and Marcy, this is a big transition for us to yes. be able to say, I'm not going to bring my prison self right now. I'm going to ask her to just sit back down on the bench and, um, you know, just keep moving forward in, you know, the joy and, and the companionship and the great things, right? Like I don't have to respond like the way the system raised me to respond to conflict. I don't have to. Tucci, look at you. Pat yourself on the back too. Well, I mean, I'm saying that now today. Yeah. <laughs> like we learned in AA for today. For today. Today. Yes. Yes. And honestly, I just have to live my life that way day by day because uh, I don't know. My dad says life is what happens in the small moments in between disasters, you know, and I feel like that's, that's so true. Like there's just always something, you know, I have, I have a lot of family and kids and friends and, and, um, and then our work that we do, there's always something going on. Um, but we still have a lot of joy in between all of that. Uh, and there's a whole lot of love, uh, Tunchi. I think that we're both so blessed that we honestly do have a lot of, um, love. And I, a lot of that comes from our organization being around formerly incarcerated women. We have a bond that, I mean, even if I didn't know you and you did some time, we're, we're there. There's a sisterhood mm -hmm. there and it, it doesn't, there's no other criteria. All the only criteria is that you experience some of that trauma of being a woman incarcerated and then especially in Texas, but anywhere, mm -hmm. you know, there's mm -hmm. that bond. And I've just been so fortunate to find those spaces. Uh, yeah. Now, see, we ended on a happier note. We than, did. Other than I caught that hole in the corner. <laughs> or in the shower. In the I shower. In and I showers. Her what was I doing jumping in the girl's shower? She was lathering up with soap and I hop, pop in there. Golly, duck walk to the shower. <laughs> no, <laughs> we're not about crazy. that life anymore. We're, we're about not. healing and restoration <laughs> and um, being that person for each other right and yeah. and for the women in our in our circle and uh and the men too because I have some good men so shout out to my brother and my dad especially <laughs> there's certainly some good men in uh, my life also but yeah <laughs> well this was a good discussion right it was too any People final thoughts hear how you better you better leave me and Marcy. <laughs> no, uh, no, this is great. Well, what are we we're going to talk? So next we got two minutes because we have to. Close yes, this. absolutely for certain. That's what we're talking about: the differences between men's prisons and women's prisons, which is massive, and I can't wait. Um, so we we have two potential guests. The first, our our first. Um, is Michael Galloway, who is incredible, did his time in Texas. And I can't wait for you guys to talk to him. Um, He's a Swifty. He is, he is kind of, he is a Swifty. You're right. He loves Taylor Swift and also. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm also um, been talking to someone else, uh, Houston Smooth. I interviewed him on my YouTube, but he might be available. So we might, there might be four of us or he might hop on separate. We'll just see how it goes. <laughs> You know us, we never know. We're just going to just, yeah, do yes. it at the moment. So uh, guys, you are listening to On the Rec Yard Women's Prison Podcast. We are live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. You can listen to us anywhere you hear your favorite podcasts. If you're listening to us, please put a review 
in, in Spotify, Apple Music. If you are watching us live, please comment, like, and share this video. All the good things. We appreciate you all so very much. Thank you all for hanging out with us on the Rec Yard Women's Prison Podcast with Marcy Marie and Tinti. Make sure and subscribe to our channel so you'll never miss a rec night.